This week's Cloudcast is brought to you by Momentum SI. Whether you want to migrate applications to the cloud, transform to enable DevOps, gain insight from big data, or accelerate your agile development, Momentum SI's strategy, consulting, and hands-on expertise can help you get there faster and with greater success. Check them out at MomentumSI.com. And now, on to the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Cloudcast. Again, coming to you live from Raleigh, North Carolina. Just me tonight, Aaron's out and about. Tonight, we're going to dig into some very, very cool new DevOps tools and automation tools with uh, Mitchell Hashimoto, uh, founder, uh, sort of creator of a ton of very, very cool stuff from HashiCorp. Uh, Mitchell, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. Um, we've we've been following your stuff for a while. I know, um, you know, whenever we're kind of setting up environments for, you know, messing around with OpenStack and Docker and a bunch of things. Uh, we know Vagrant. Uh, we use Vagrant quite a bit for that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what goes on behind the scenes with Vagrant. I just know it's it's Vagrant up. Lots of stuff happens. Things kind of work. And we are excited to talk to you because, um, and we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit, but you've got a whole new sort of tool and tool set called Terraform out. So we wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit. So thanks for coming on tonight. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so, you know, for anybody that, that doesn't know you, and I guess if you're if you're in the DevOps space and in the automation space, everybody knows you. But but for anybody who doesn't <laughs> know you, um, you started HashiCorp as a sort of a side project, a night project. So what were you doing that inspired you to build all these cool tools like Vagrant and Packer and now Terraform and so forth? Yeah. Well. Okay. So let's see. Well, so I built. Vagrant was almost like uh, an accident, so to speak, in terms of affecting DevOps. Uh, I built it as a developer. Uh, I didn't know anything about operations at the time. I built it as a developer mostly to solve my own problem of creating uh, development environments. And uh, right after I built it, uh, someone approached me and said, hey, this, this solves a lot of DevOps problems. And, and I didn't really know what he was talking about at the time, so I started investigating DevOps a little bit and and kind of got it, slowly figured it out, but I was intrigued. Um, so I kind of looked into it further, um, and the next thing I knew, my full-time job was being an ops engineer, and uh, I fell in love with it really quickly and was working on Vagrant basically like eight hours a night. <laughs> wow. And that, that's, when I, that's when I understood, uh, that's when I uh, realized I needed to, to either start a business around it or let go a little bit. Yeah. It, was, it was taking a lot of my time. No, that's very cool. And, and for anybody who doesn't know Vagrant, um, you know, the way you guys describe it, and I, I think it's a, it's a great description, it's basically create and, and automate any environment you want and do it super consistently. So you're doing it for your, for your laptop or your desktop or you want to do it for a coworker. You bring up environments and they're, you know, the, the way you build them are all going to be exactly the same and they'll work the same on, on every environment. Fair? That's it. You cool. got it. Yeah. So... You know, we always find it interesting when the folks who, whether they start a company or they're building things, you know, didn't do it the sort of traditional, you know, VC route where it's like, hey, I had an idea for something. I'd always built products and I went off and did this. It's, we're always interested in the folks who kind of started their company or started their thing because they, they had a problem and that thing 
eventually they said, well, if I have this problem, there's probably a lot of people that have the problem and turn it into a company. So it's, you know, it's, it's almost, there's a level of, I don't want to say you can trust the person more, but, but you know, that person understands the, the kind of problem maybe more so than, than if you just had an idea to go build something because you're a builder by nature. So that's very, very cool. So, you know, one of the things I've noticed about your tools, um, at least the ones I've interacted with and the ones I've kind of researched is you, you try and hide a ton of the complexity. It's not necessarily a, a tool set that's, you know, riddled with thousands of knobs and options and stuff. Um, especially, yeah. uh, you know, including a lot of what you try and do is sort of be cloud or platform independent. Is yep. that something that you sort of found was, was necessary to get your jobs done? Or is that sort of you thinking ahead and future proofing stuff or what's the, what's the thinking? Yeah. Behind that? So, yeah. So I think you hit upon two points there. One is, one is hiding complexity and, and like, uh, not, uh, yeah, hiding knobs, so to speak, and, and the other is being agnostic. So those are two separate things. The first one, um, I think it's just what we're trying to do is kind of move, you know, our tools, one of the goals of our tools is basically to codify some amount of knowledge, and we think in, in doing that, you should remove some complexity in order to make the tool somewhat useful. Yeah. Um, kind of the way we look at things is we're not, we're looking at making people more efficient, and one of the ways we're, we're looking at making more pe- uh, people more efficient is by uh, by basically making it so they don't have to learn some of the complexity necessary. Um, I, an analogy or example I like to use is most most engineers this day, these days, you know, uh, if you want a computer science a computer science program, you kind of know. But most engineers these days don't really know what happens once their code hits a compiler to turn into machine code, or once their code hits um, the interpreter to to run their like Ruby script or something. Most people don't really understand the intricacies there, and it's because they don't have to. Um, anymore, they could just trust that it's going to work. Um, but because of that, they could focus on um, newer problems um, and you know things like what's the best HTTP library and like higher level problems, which maybe the compiler people don't find important, but they're important to someone. And one of the things I'm trying to do, I guess, with DevOps and our company is trying to do is is kind of build up the chain and build some primitives so that you don't have to worry about them anymore. So one example, I know it's not a product you brought up, is, is for example, Console, which is our service discovery thing. It's every, every organization eventually runs into the problem of, I have more than one application, and they need to find each other, um, and they need to know if they're healthy, and if I could talk to them, and what their address is, and all this sort of stuff. And that's something, to me, that I shouldn't have to really care about, because something should solve it. So console just kind of does that for you and you don't have to configure or anything you just kind of put it into production uh, and it works um, and that's kind of one of the core things uh, and then the other thing I guess is being agnostic and and yeah I mean I don't think it's 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 definitely partially future proofing um, but it's also just kind of one of our core philosophies is that we're not in the business of locking people in to certain uh, paradigms so to speak you know whether it's whether it's a physical server or a virtual machine or whether it's Amazon or Rackspace or anything like that, we're, we don't really have skin in the game and, and it's in our best interest, but also we think that, yeah, for the future, it's best to just not lock people in at that level. So uh, we try to just integrate with as many people as we can. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. Um, no, that's very, very cool. So, and we'll put links to all the other stuff, uh, Packer and Surf and Console and, and all the cool, cool tools that you guys put. We'll put those in the case note or the show notes for anybody to go take a look at them. So let's talk cool. about let's talk about Terraform. Um, yeah. 
you know, first kind of give us an overview of, of what it is and what it's trying to solve. And, and then I, I kind of want to fit where it fits into the bigger picture of, you know, kind of the, the common DevOps tools or the common sort of DevOps paradigms. Yeah, so the problem Terraform solves um, is, is a combination of an old one um, and a new one. So the old problem it's solving is, is how do I launch um, in this, in this kind of cloudy world, how do I launch infrastructure um, for my config management to run on? It's, we've had config management tools that are pretty good for the past you know, six years or so, and the problem is there's this chicken-egg problem where you've got to get that machine running and you've got to get that config management tool installed sometimes. And, uh, but there's been this problem where it's like, how do I launch that machine? And what I noticed, um, and this is thanks to kind of the adoption of Vagrant and being able to talk to people who use our other tools, um, is that a lot of companies just kind of home grow this. So they kind of just write scripts that talk to AWS or, or write a script that talks to their inventory management system or something to launch servers. And we, are, we were trying to basically um, create a common tool that people could use uh, to do this. Um, and there's a lot of benefit in that in terms of education. And I mentioned codifying knowledge and things like that. So what Terraform does is in a single configuration file or set of files, describes your entire uh, data center, pretty much, from the low-level components like uh, servers and switches to the higher-level components, um, such as software the service, DNS entries, databases, um, and so on. And that's kind of the new thing, is in this, in this modern data center, um, there's, people are kind of picking off the shelf a ton of best-of-breed technologies, whether it's you know, Cloudflare for DNS and, and kind of a, a caching layer, or and whether it's Heroku for databases or AWS for databases and so on. You're kind of just pulling things from all over the place. And Terraform is, is at least as far as I know, one of the first tools to really let you describe all these different cloud providers and different levels, whether it's infrastructure as a service or platform as a service or software as a service, um, all in one file, but also combine them. So you could say things like, bring up this AWS instance or, um, and then take its IP address and use it to create an A record in Cloudflare. Um, and that's pretty cool, I think. Yeah. No, and it's, and it's cool that, you know, when I was reading about it, um, I was trying to figure out, was it, when you, when you talk about infrastructure, because people tend to, the scope of when they talk about infrastructure, sometimes it's just servers and you were talking about, you know, also including, you know, some of the more modern sort of networking stuff. So you could talk to a, uh, you know, a Cumulus, or you can talk to um, Arista, or some of these, you know, more programmable type of infrastructure. That piece is is very cool because we're we're seeing more and more of that capability, not just in the servers, but in you know, in network and in infrastructure. Now, the other thing that that you highlight in this is it's kind of a, and I want to kind of get this right, like it's kind of an augmentation to Chef or Puppet. It's not necessarily a, re- a replacement. So, explain where. Uh, you know, Terraform might interact with those types of environments, especially if you have a ton of chef recipes or puppet manifests or, or anything yeah. else going on. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so Terraform um, is not a config management tool. So it kind of sits at the barrier right before config management um, okay. runs and down to and stops again where you're plugging in servers. So we don't handle what happens when you plug in a server, but uh, we handle in between pretty much there and when Chef or Puppet can run. Um, and so, yeah, Terraform has basically the concept of provisioning built into it. So you could say, start up this server, 
and then run the script or something. Um, but that's less, it's not meant to be a config management solution. It's meant to kick off a config management solution. Um, and you could kind of see in your usage of Terraform and the design of Terraform, you could kind of see that this is what we meant because the provisioning uh, in Terraform is only run at creation time. It's not something that you can modify and it runs again. It's, it's really just meant as a bootstrap mechanism. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we don't try to replace uh, Chef or Puppet in any way. Okay. And it's, as best I can tell, like, it's, like, like you've talked about before, it's sort of platform independent. So whether you're trying to spin up, like, like bare metal and, and in-house virtual machines, or you're trying to spin up instances out in Amazon, it, it, it's kind of the same construct. It, you don't have to think about it as a bunch of different tools. It just looks at infrastructure, correct? Right, yeah. The other the other boundary where Terraform has, um, and this kind of helps people see where it fits as well, is um, it stops. It's Terraform is not a a resource scheduler or a resource pool. So um, you still need a scheduler or pool um, in order for Terraform to get resources and put them back. Um, and so uh, an, examples of these things are AWS, OpenStack, uh, Mesos. Um, an inventory management system, homegrown, and so on. Gotcha, gotcha. No, no that totally makes sense. Um, do, do you find do you do you sort of go to a common picture when you're trying to explain these things to people? So you go, well, okay, you've got uh, you've got Terraform to sort of bootstrap stuff and get it running, and then it's going to hand off to you know Ansible, Chef Puppet, Salt, whatever that tool is. But it could be recall. It could be called by, like you said, OpenStack or Mesos to sort of kick off. I mean, do people get all that? You know, do, do you do you sort of have to describe it? To- but yeah, I think there's you know there's there's definitely a group of people who who are starting to get it um, and are are seeing kind of a bigger picture here. Um, but I think that you know while we do we being HashiCorp, um, while we do have a vision of what we're going towards and. And the creation of all these tools and the order that they were created is definitely a premeditated sort of thing. Um, I think that there's still a little bit of time uh, before the masses uh, get it or, or can even validate it as a good idea. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we have a theory of what we kind of want ops to look like and what we think will work best. But um, I think we're operating, not just us, but even uh, other companies out there are operating kind of at a, at a time where we're kind of ahead of what people um, are ready to adopt. Um, but I think that's a necessary, I always like to say there's like the necessary expansion before there's the contraction. So um, I think right now we're in an expansion phase and I think it's just beginning. Like I think over the next two years, it's going to get even more confusing with a lot more stuff. Um, but I would say my, my kind of prediction is in three to five years, um, we're going to start seeing some tools fall off and we're going to start seeing some tools um, become the way to do things, uh, and it'll become a lot clearer uh, exactly how ops should be done in yeah. certain ways. Very cool. Now, one of the things that I found kind of interesting about Terraform is you've, you've separated planning, so what you call Terraform plan from, from execution or, yeah. or Terraform graph, which I thought was very cool, and it, especially when you're building things at scale, it becomes difficult to sort of see all the independencies. So explain kind of what the thinking was between planning or, you know, Terraform plan and Terraform graph and, and, and the feedback you kind of got that drove you towards moving in that direction. Yeah. So I was super excited. I remember being super excited. I don't know when it was four plus years ago when cloud formation came out from AWS. Um, I was running into this issue where I was like, well, it's kind of sucks to make 
AWS resources and tie them together. So I was super excited about CloudFormation. So I kind of hopped on that real quick, um, and I've used it for a couple companies. But I, I've noticed that myself and other people I've talked to who seem to use CloudFormation use it as a bootstrapping mechanism in order to bring up an initial cluster, but very rarely use it as a infrastructure uh, change system or yeah, moving forward with the infrastructure. And um, it was kind of obvious why that was happening, and it's because you could change your CloudFormation template, and when you apply it, it will apply the changes only, um, but you have to kind of divine what it's going to do to make those changes happen because sometimes the change actually requires destroying something. Like if you change the IP address of an instance, it's got to s- destroy it most of the time and bring it back new. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't know that's going to happen and it surprises you by doing it because it has no sort of dry run mode, then you're kind of hosed um, usually. And it's, it's, it's so scary that people just don't do it. So one of the first things when we were planning Terraform, I knew there had to be a staging step. There had to be some step where you saw exactly what was going to happen. Um, and actually, it had to be, it's, some people have messed up and said it's a dry run, but Terraform is actually, it's, it's better than a dry run. It's not just a dry run. It's exactly what it's going to do. It's a plan. So uh, some tools have dry runs, but when you run them, actually, they might do something different. But Terraform, if you plan something and you execute that plan, that's exactly what's going to happen. So... Um, we knew we had to build that in from the beginning, and it definitely made things a lot more complicated. But uh, I think in the long run, that's going to be a better decision. Okay, excellent. So yeah, in essence, it's let me see what's going to happen. It 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 tells you when it completes. It tells you where there's errors. It uh, yep. yeah. So it it lets, it, it lets you think about it at six o'clock when you're still not exhausted and yeah. run it at two in the morning. Yeah, and I mean one of the cool things it does, which a couple of people have noticed, is. When, there, when you do have that change, that you change the IP address and it requires a new resource, um, the plan will actually tell you that it was that change that is necessitating a new resource creation. So you could, if you just want to do the other changes and not have to deal with you know, a potentially disruptive operation such as killing, destroying an instance and bringing one back up, you could you kind of back down and say, okay, let me not change the IP address right now and do that a little later and so I could do only in-place updates. Um, and you're able to see that in the plan, and, and you can't really do that with any other tool as far as I know right now. Okay, and it sort of has at least a certain amount of logic that understands how the underlying platform works, so it's an AWS yeah. or a Rex. Okay, very, very cool. Yep. Very nice. So, you know, when when you start looking at tools and, uh, you know, the one thing that's, that's very cool about what you guys do and, and is becoming kind of, consistent in the marketplace is, is people have an open source version and then they, they have a commercial version and so forth. Have you seen people start to take your tools and, and build them into, you know, more, more broad systems so that, you know, I want to bring this up. I want to bring up resources across a bunch of different platforms and providers and, and put them into systems that are self-service portals or cloud brokers. And they start kind of building their own as opposed to, uh, you know, kind of maybe getting commercial stuff. Are you seeing that more and more, or do you still see, um, you know, people tend to use them as independent tools as opposed to being kind of hidden behind the scenes and linked to a bigger thing? Um, I'm not seeing commercial stuff build out, but definitely internal tools at companies. There's a lot. Um, yeah. So I've noticed, yeah, I've noticed a lot of people have built some really cool internal tools around um, all our tools, actually. They've built some pretty cool Vagrant integrations, Packer integrations, uh, Terraform's still too new, so it yeah. only came out two weeks ago, so I haven't seen what people will do there, but uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. 
and how do you how do you guys tend to collect feedback from people? Is it I mean beyond just downloads and stuff? It's what, yeah. what do you what do you get that drives new new innovation to it? Yeah, so we it's a lot. Um, as a company, we watch everything we see, any Twitter mention of of anything related to us, and often not related to us because uh, you know things like Vagrant catch a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. But we do that, the mailing list, IRC. We kind of collect all this information, and then we also have a, a solid group of pretty big companies that we have a really close relationship with that we we actually uh, talk about upcoming software with, and they help design it a little bit. So Console and Terraform were both developed uh, very closely in partnership with a few uh, very large companies, and so that kind of helps. Our, our kind of philosophy there is that if you solve it for their scale, then it kind of scales down really easily, whereas the opposite isn't usually true. Um, but we also have to be careful because there's that, you know, there's that saying, and we found it to be true, where if you go to a customer and you ask them what they want, you know, they're going to ask for a faster horse, um, right. whereas what they might really want is a car. So um, we're a little bit careful about taking all advice, but we take everything into account. Right. Right, and I, I suspect that that sort of plays into what you were talking about earlier, which is you guys have sort of a philosophy of what you think the right way to do dev and ops, and and that is, and you, you got to find what that right balance is between your vision and and what people sort of variations they might have based on real world. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, we release some things like, for example, um, two examples. We released Packer, and people were like, "Why are you bringing golden images back? That's like we proved that a long time ago. It's a bad idea." Um, and you know, there's I, that Packer is actually not fully realized yet. So there's stuff coming in that'll make it clearer why we did that even a year ago. Gotcha. Um, and then also surf surf was really confusing people. You know, um, it was like, what is this like gossip based production library tool? We don't know what it is thing. Um, and that was in September last year. And then in April we came out with console built on top of it. And surf was always built as a building block to console. So, then it became clear. It's like, oh, that's why they built Surf. So I think, you know, I think as time goes on, we'll we'll slowly finish out, you know, our vision, and hopefully, uh, people will get it. Gotcha, gotcha. So one one last question, because I want to be conscious of your time. So, sure. what what are what are the the most common sort of starting points you find people are using your tools, and then you know, what are the sort of common use cases you see all the time from people? Yeah, so there's well, there's two primary points of entry for our tools. It's Vagrant and Console. So, um, and I think it'll be Terraform too shortly. But Vagrant, you know, it's mostly the there's a lot of developers that are just hobbyists at home and want to clean things up, and so they come in and use it. Um, then they think it's a good idea for their work, so they bring it into work, and it kind of just grows from there. Um, there's also the ops people um, on the Vagrant side who just want a faster way to test, like Chef and Pup. There and then on the console side, it's people that are solving. It's usually higher scale, bigger businesses that have a have a service discovery or configuration problem, and and there's really only a handful of legitimate players out there. So they they find console and give it a shot, and then as they get into console, they they think you know this works pretty well, hopefully, um, and they start looking at other things we've done and and kind of start adopting other things. Very nice. Uh, yeah. Very nice. Well, cool. Listen, uh, so I want to be, like I said, I want to be conscious of time. We're sort of running out of time for, for this week. Um, where can folks find you? Are you guys, uh, you know, not only on the web, but, you know, events that are coming up, DevOps days, Enterprise DevOps. Where, where can folks potentially run into you or the rest yeah. of your crew and, and so forth? Yeah, we, um, 
So the internet's easy. I mean, I don't think I need to describe yeah. how to find us on the internet. You'll you'll figure it out. It's easy. But um, in terms of events, I go. I personally go to a ton of conferences. So there's a pretty good chance you could find me at one. I don't actually have very many planned in the future here for the rest of the year. I've been. Um, I've already been to like 15 this year, but I've been trying to tone it down for the remainder of the year because we have some some stuff coming. Uh, but yeah, most ops conferences I try to the big ones I try to at least show up to. Yep. Yeah, very cool. Well, listen, we'll put all the uh, all the internet stuff details in the show notes. And uh, cool. folks, the cool thing about all their tools is they're free to download. They're really well documented, um, and they do stuff. You don't have to really learn them too much. You just kind of set them up, and they they do cool stuff. So listen, yeah, one, oh, yeah. One thing uh, one thing I want to mention too is it's a lot of people. You know, they they think like, oh, they're free, but there's probably at some point where you like you got to pay for it or something, and. Uh, and that's just not the case, and that's kind of not how we're building our business either. So, you know, you're not going to reach like, oh, I reached this point where consoles discovering or I'm building with Terraform 20 servers, but to build 21, I need to pay them. It's there's really no limit. Um, we are building enterprise features on top of them, but but we promise they're going to be really enterprisey. So, uh, it's kind of a you don't need to worry about it. Very cool. Very, very cool. Well, listen, uh, folks, go check them out. Uh, that's it for this week. Um, so, you know, as always, if you like the show, tell a friend, leave a review on iTunes. You can always follow us on Twitter at the CloudcastNet or, of course, all our social media stuff on the cloudcast.net on the web. So uh, for Mitchell and for Aaron, who will be back next week, folks, thanks for listening and uh, have a good weekend. The show is over. Go back to your regular life. It's much more interesting than the podcast. I promise it is.